0: Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones, back here after Christmas for our Bowl Preview episode. Hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. We're able to spend time with family, spend time with loved ones. Here on the show today, I uh, will only be talking football. That basketball win over Incarnate Word last week, while it was great and Purdue- Got a 20-point win. Uh, it's not really worth putting in a bunch of time to talk about that, and hopefully Purdue can take care of Nichols this week to end the non-conference slate. So today, uh, Purdue and Tennessee getting ready to face off in the Music City Bowl. We will have plenty of preview here for you today, whether it be in preparation for the bowl game on your drive down to Nashville, or getting ready to watch at home. However you may be watching, we'll get you ready for the game today. First, follow the show on Twitter at BoilersBeyond if you don't already. Lots of stuff there usually keeping you posted on developments throughout the week, especially right now with the football transfer portal being the way it is. You'll want to make sure you're following there for the latest news. And subscribe to Boilers and Beyond, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Pods, Google Pods, Spotify, wherever. And if you're so inclined, we always appreciate reviews. But Purdue versus Tennessee, getting ready uh, to play on Thursday, December 30th. If you're like me, the dates mean more than the days of the week this time of year around the holidays. 3 p.m. Eastern kickoff from Nissan Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee. Looking like Tennessee's about five-point favorites right now, Uh, Purdue comes in, as you all are aware, eight and four, five and three in, excuse me, six and three in Big Ten play. Meanwhile, Tennessee, seven and five on the year with a four and four record in the SEC. And diving into storylines, you know, uh, looking at the storylines when this game was announced versus now is very different, and... The most pressing reason there is we've seen a bunch of bowl games, maybe about five bowl games to this point, maybe a little less, but some games impacted by COVID. Uh, A few schools have had to drop out of bowl games because of outbreaks within the teams. Here's what I can tell you. It is Sunday night, December 26th. Uh, Just watched the Bears beat the Seahawks. Now recording this, and both teams are in Nashville. Both teams are there. They've arrived at their hotels. There was supposed to be a welcome uh, event. I'm not exactly sure the details of that, but I know that both Purdue's team and Tennessee's team would have been there. That event was canceled. In the press release from the Music City Bowl, it did say that neither team has had COVID issues. So we'll take it at that. I don't think this is going to be an issue. I know I saw on Twitter last week that Purdue had players getting booster shots, so hopefully that helps uh, make sure this game goes on smoothly. But, you know, the main storyline when it comes to on the field is that Purdue will be without its two best players, wide receiver David Bell and defensive end George Karloftis. They are both skipping the bowl game to prepare for the NFL draft process, uh, meaning their careers at Purdue are done. You know, looking back a bit, David Bell got in 29 career games, 232 receptions for just under 3,000 yards, 21 receiving touchdowns. Uh, That's pretty remarkable uh, to really have just played two and a half seasons uh, because that 2020 season, only six games, you know, half a season there. Pretty remarkable stuff. He goes down in my book as the best receiver in Purdue history. If you would like to make an argument for someone else, be it John Standiford, Taylor Stubblefield, if you want to stretch it and say Rondale Moore, I'm willing to hear your argument, but I'm probably not going to agree with you. Uh, Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, George Karloftis. 26 career games, 97 tackles, 14 sacks, and three forced fumbles. Carl uh, Laffy is a guy who, especially this year as a junior, you know he really didn't get much action. Only played two games in uh, 2020 after he hurt his ankle in the second game and then contracted COVID. So really played mostly just two seasons, and his impact was felt more than just in the stat sheet because. He was double and triple teamed so much because of how good he is. Uh, That's something that is going to be very difficult for Purdue to replace. Is just that game-changing ability he had, A, if he were to get through and make a play, but how he has to change the offense's blocking approach because of his ability to get to the quarterback. Both these guys leave as Purdue legends. Both of them were all americans i think both of them qualified to be considered consensus all americans this season i know the the categorizing of that's always a little confusing but uh, both guys leave as absolute legends but looking at the opt outs here you know this is i completely think this is the right decision uh, these guys are going to get life-changing money here in April, assuming that their combines go well, uh, their pro days go well, all that. uh, It's not worth it to risk what is to come in NFL draft positioning and NFL contracts to play in this game. It does bring up a good question, though, because there are certainly differing opinions throughout the fan base on whether Bell and Carl should be playing, and I know it's a very small minority of Purdue fans that are disappointed with this decision. But look, it's 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 relevant. You know, ten years ago, this wasn't a thing; players weren't opting out of bowl games. Uh, now they are, and it begs the question: How important bowl games are? The playoff has certainly changed things. There is. A feeling of lack of importance around games that are not playoff games. You are even seeing now, you know, the New Year's Six has been a ESPN-driven group of games that are supposed to be more important than the rest. But we have a bowl game. Uh, you have Penn, or excuse me, Michigan State versus Pitt. And Kenneth Walker isn't playing for Michigan State. And Kenny Pickett, uh, the all-ACC quarterback for Pitt, isn't going to play. And that's supposed to be one of the six most important bowl games. So you're seeing this change. You're seeing the thought processes behind bowl games change, too. You know, bowl wins don't mean what they used to, either. Uh, It is... A reward for your players, certainly. It is an expectation for most programs that they are in bowl games regularly. I think even at Purdue, it's an expectation that you are in a bowl game almost every year, if not every year. Uh, but, you know, regardless, uh, Purdue missing these guys isn't going to help. Tennessee has some opt outs as well. We will get to that later. Uh, but, Losing Bell and Karlaftis does beg the question, how much have these bowl games changed? On the other side of the ball, uh, the other side of the field, I should say, the storyline on Tennessee's side, look, year one of Josh Heupel was a massive success. This is a program that has really struggled to get any consistency since Philip Fulmer was kind of pushed out in the late 2000s. Brought in Lane Kiffin for a year, that went poorly. Derek Dooley went poorly. Butch Jones had a flash or two, that went poorly. One time, Purdue coaching search target Butch Jones, I might add there as well. Then Jeremy Pruitt was fired after last year's 3-7 and season uh, with potential NCAA violations in the program, accused of handing recruits McDonald's bags full of cash. Uh, but for Josh Heupel, you know, came in from Central Florida, wasn't the most universally praised hire at the time, but he's had a solid season. Seven and five is a very nice year for year one in the SEC. Uh, they're looking to f- finish this season off strong. And that is certainly not to say that the success of the season isn't a storyline for Purdue either. I think that is your most important thing at Purdue. Uh, the headliner is your two best players being out, but Purdue's exceeded any expectation that anyone could have had this year. In my opinion, I said at the start of the year that I thought eight and four was probably the absolute ceiling. And I thought four and eight to five and seven was probably the floor. Purdue's maximized what they have. You had some big wins that really helped get momentum going. Iowa, Michigan State, and you avoided a disaster-type loss. I say a disaster-type loss, like Nevada in 2019 and Rutgers in 2020. Those were really bad losses for Purdue. This year, you didn't have that. Notre Dame, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio State. There is nothing wrong with losing to those teams. Uh, Two of those are in the New Year's Six games, the other two finished ahead of you in the Big Ten West, both at eight and four as well. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, meanwhile, you know Tennessee. Four of their five losses were to New Year's Six or playoff teams. You know they lose to uh, Ole Miss, they lose to Alabama, lose to Georgia, and they lost to Pitt. Um, so that's four. You know Ole Miss and Pitt in New Year's Six, Bama, Georgia, and the playoffs. Uh, their loss to Florida looks pretty poor in hindsight, but you know they were a team that beat who they were supposed to beat, lost who they were supposed to lose to. Their best win, a 45-42 shootout over Kentucky, who's a good team. Uh, that's not necessarily a real headline or win, but Vol fans should be very happy with this season. They're going to the Music City Bowl. It's a de facto home game for them. They should be very happy. Purdue has been to the Music City Bowl. You all remember 2018. Wasn't so much fun for Purdue that day. In that game, it was obvious how much more pure talent Auburn had than Purdue. That was an 8-4 Auburn team. That was a 6-6 Purdue team. Things are a little different here. 8-4 Purdue, 7-5 UT. But regardless, Purdue has to monitor this Tennessee team because Tennessee has some characteristics that that Auburn team did as well, and it starts with a high-powered offense. Scoring 38 points a game, 459 yards of offense, they're very effective both passing and rushing the ball. 247 passing yards a game, that doesn't jump out at you too much, but the 212 yards a game on the ground certainly does. And everything starts with Tennessee at the quarterback position. Hendon Hooker, very solid quarterback for them. He didn't open the season as the starter. He sat behind Michigan transfer Joe Milton for a little bit, and that went very poorly. Hooker got in there pretty quick, and he comes into this game completing 68% of his passes, 26 touchdowns to three picks on the season. Very, very impressive. Uh... He is very effective in the run game. He's their second leading rusher, gets about 50 yards a game on the ground. That's very important for Purdue to watch. In the past game, credit to some of the guys on Vol Twitter for helping educate me a bit on the Tennessee offense here. Uh, Cedric Tillman, Velas Jones Jr., by far the leading receivers for Tennessee. Uh, they Both have over 50 catches on the year. I think the next best has 16. So those two are your guys to watch out for. At the running back spot, Jabari Small, he's their bell cow. Only gets 61 yards a game. Uh, They had a running back who just entered the transfer portal. So they do lose a guy there, but it's a good running back room. They don't necessarily have a one guy does it all type of approach. Jalen Wright is going to get a good amount of touches as well for the Vols. Uh, it's an effective attack, and you know, looking at looking at Purdue, that's something that they haven't necessarily uh, done great with. Is that multi-dimensional rushing attack? So Purdue's going to have to do better there, but. On the defensive side for Tennessee, it's not your typical SEC smash mouth defense. Allowing over 27 points a game, they are very vulnerable against the pass. The stats may not show it. 250 yards a game, that's a decent amount, especially when you consider that a lot of their opponents are very run heavy teams. Georgia, for example, very run heavy. South Carolina, very run heavy. Florida this year turned out to be very run heavy, so that's a little bit different there. They're vulnerable against the pass. They're not great against the run either, but Purdue doesn't necessarily run the ball in a way that should make Tennessee all that worried. When you're in bowl games, one of the big questions is always motivation, and I know it's a bit of an SEC talking point at times that they didn't really want to be there. But it's true. Uh, at times, teams don't want to be there in bowl games. But both programs are stable here. Uh, Brahm has done a nice job. Brahm's not going anywhere uh, after year five. Hypel has plenty of buy-in after year one. So you're not dealing with coaching changes. You're not dealing with mass transfer portal exoduses. Uh, this should be a pretty good battle. Two teams are ready to get down to Nashville and finish their season strong. So what does Purdue have to do to finish their season strong? As always, we've got three keys for Purdue to win this game. And number one, it's managing Tennessee's speed. Look, as I talked about in the beginning of the pod, Tennessee has speed that Purdue doesn't. And It's evident at multiple positions, especially at wide receiver. And there are not a ton of teams in the Big Ten that have speed at wide receiver the way the SEC teams do. We saw how much Purdue was exploited by that against Auburn in 2018. You have to deal with it. Tennessee especially is tough to deal with because of how up-tempo their offense is. Over the season, they've been starting games strong, and they make defenses adjust to their pace. Defenses tend to adjust, but Purdue doesn't have the luxury of getting down 10-0, 14-3, 21-10 in this game, and trying to come back. They've got to be ready on defense to manage the tempo from Tennessee. It's been interesting in some press conferences that you can find on YouTube to hear the defensive staff talk about prepping for that Tennessee speed because they've been pretty upfront in saying that, look, there's not all that much you can do to prep for it. Uh, they're so up tempo and they have speed on their offense that other teams just don't. So you have to be ready to manage that. And however that goes, you know, we'll see. But if Purdue's ready to play that up tempo style, and ready to not rely on a lot of subs, they should be in all right shape there. Number two, breakthrough performers. You don't have David Bell on offense, and that is a huge, huge loss. Yeah, he is an elite wide receiver, and Brahm has mentioned that the wide receiver room is going to be a little thin. Didn't provide much context there, I'll allow you to... Come up with your own conclusions there, uh, because I don't know what's going on there, but you're going to need guys to step up. Can Jackson Anthrop go out with a bang? 6th year senior has been awesome this year. T.J. Sheffield, can he finally break through? Uh, he's had some solid performances, but he hasn't had that big 100-yard game breakthrough performance yet. You know, You've got guys Brock Thompson, Colin Sullivan, Uh, Deion Burks, Preston Terrell, you know, who knows? I I think we will see plenty of tight end targets. I think you will see more uh, 12 personnel in this game, more two tight end stuff uh, than what we usually see. So it's going to be interesting to see how Purdue approaches this game with no David Bell in a potentially thin wide receiver room. And then number three is very hard to use as a key because it's impossible to predict generally, but the big play battle needs to go Purdue's way here. And I'm not just talking big plays about a 60-yard touchdown or a pick six. You know, a big play can even be a sack on second and 10 that turns a turns something into a third and 18 when you need to get the ball back, or a big play can be going for it on fourth and two from the 50 and getting that conversion. Consequential plays need to go Purdue's way in this game because, number one, you can't allow Tennessee's defense to make a game-changing play. Uh, You can't... Tennessee's offense is good enough that You can't allow them to get points with their offense on the sideline. Purdue almost gave up a pick six against Indiana, got called back for pass interference. Purdue's defense doesn't make a lot of big plays. Uh, They had a little stretch there where they were, but you never know in this game. If you can make Hooker uncomfortable, it's easier said than done without Karloftis, but find a way to make him uncomfortable. If your defense can make a big play or two, that helps you even more. A few final thoughts here before I make a prediction. You know I if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that I am a big believer in the 24/7 team talent composite. Uh, that is a metric that 24/7 sports uses to analyze teams in order of the amount of pure talent that is on their roster. If you're not a recruiting ranking person, you're probably not going to agree with me here. That's fine. I respect your opinion there, uh, but I am. I think recruiting rankings are very, very important. Tennessee's number 19 in the country in team talent. That's the third best of any team Purdue's played this season behind Ohio State and Notre Dame. Those games did not go all that well for Purdue. You saw what Ohio State speed did. You saw what Notre Dame's defense was able to do against Purdue. Uh, Tennessee is slightly ahead of Wisconsin and Nebraska. You know, a couple more measuring sticks there. I think Wisconsin's a little bit different uh, just because of their reliance on the power run game, something that Tennessee will not use. Uh, Nebraska's a little similar there in terms of their offensive philosophy and kind of how they recruit schematically, but I don't think the talent composite takes into consideration the lack of talent at the uh, head coach position for Nebraska. Speaking of the Huskers, Tennessee uses a lot of RPO and that is something that we saw Purdue really struggle with in the first half against Nebraska. In the second half, Purdue did a much better job, uh, Part of that is that Adrian Martinez didn't execute the pass portion of the run-pass option very well. Hendon Hooker is going to be a lot better there. But can Purdue bust it up a little bit? Can Purdue get in the backfield? Can Purdue make those reads difficult on Hooker? And can they make him pay if he's late on that decision? All of these are keys. Uh, The RPO is very complex. It is very difficult to run effectively. It's very easy to go wrong, but Tennessee's good at running it. Hypel ran it quite a bit at UCF. So we'll see what that looks like. Purdue has plenty of time to prepare for this game. So you'll have time to prep for it. One of the interesting things ahead of bowl games often is the month off that you have to prepare. If you're Purdue, You know, you were kind of ready to play this game right away. Aiden O'Connell ended this season on fire. Your defense had a couple of nice performances in a row against Northwestern and IU. You were feeling good about yourself. Now you've taken a month off. Uh, You've had plenty of time to reflect on the season and feel very good about what you have already accomplished. Same with Tennessee. Uh, They have plenty of time to feel good about what they've accomplished, so... Coming back after that month, it's always interesting to see who stays hot and who maybe cools off a little bit. You know, Purdue is going to have to keep up in this game. Uh, Tennessee is going to really spread Purdue out. I think Tennessee is going to be able to move the ball very well. I think Purdue can too. Tennessee's best defensive back, Alonde Tucker, excuse me, Alonde Taylor, he's out. For the game. So, you know, I think Purdue has a very, very good chance of moving the ball as well. Uh, Purdue can rack up a lot of points. So can Tennessee. I'm going to go with Tennessee 41, Purdue 28. I just don't know that Purdue can keep up. I don't know that they can score enough to win this game. I think this is the second best offense that Purdue has faced all year. We saw what Ohio State's offense did to Purdue. You saw what their speed at receiver did to Purdue. I I hope I'm wrong. The pro-Tennessee crowd certainly won't help. I'm going to guess that it's 80% Tennessee fans there, if not maybe a little more. All in all, we'll see. I, I think Purdue certainly can keep up in this game, but I would be pretty surprised if Purdue wins this game. Given the absences of Bell and Karloftis, given the speed of Tennessee, just all of that combined, I think, doesn't set up well for Purdue here. You know, unfortunately, you look at some of the other bowl games that Big Ten teams similar to Purdue are playing. You know, uh, Minnesota gets West Virginia. Uh, Purdue would be fine against West Virginia. Wisconsin gets Arizona State. Purdue would be fine against Arizona State. I think Purdue wins both those games, so it's a little bit of a tough draw here for Purdue, but we'll see what happens. It's going to be a fun trip to Nashville. I am very excited heading down on Tuesday, so I hope to see plenty of black and gold down on Broadway. It is a fun trip. Uh, If you are making the trip down, safe travels, and I hope to see you there. This is our last show of the new year, uh, excuse me, of 2021, last show before the new year, just a little quick year in recap. Uh, it's been a very good year for Purdue Athletics. Looking at it big picture here, you, most importantly, you know, you got fans back in the venues that started a little bit in the spring with baseball and softball. Uh, fans were permitted there, but that really came back on September 4th when Rossade Stadium had... About 55,000 people there for a night game against Oregon State that Purdue won. And kicked off a bounce-back season that Purdue football desperately needed. Now, enthusiasm around the program is very high. Attendance was awesome. Uh, The stadium was full all year. The Minnesota game sold a lot of tickets. I know, didn't have the best actual in-venue attendance with the pouring rain, but... Football had a great season. You had big wins. You dominated Indiana to hopefully take back a little momentum within the state. You have Aiden O'Connell coming back next year. You have a lot of reason for optimism. 2021 was very good to Purdue football. Basketball had a very nice year. Uh, You can dwell on the NCAA tournament loss to North Texas, but... January through March was very good for Purdue basketball. They had a very good season, finished fourth in the Big Ten, and that set up what we've seen so far this year. Purdue getting to number one in the country, getting that momentum up, getting the buzz around Purdue basketball that you don't always see. There's so much to be excited about from a basketball perspective moving into 2022. You saw... Due to the way the COVID scheduling worked, volleyball makes two Elite Eight runs in one calendar year. That's pretty incredible. Um, I know it's, you know, football and basketball really define your athletic department, but what volleyball did was incredible. I know Purdue fans got very into it, which is awesome. I, I Dave Shondell doesn't get enough credit for what he has done at Purdue because of how good the Big Ten is at volleyball. But that's a great program. Uh, Things are going very well there. And while they lose a ton of their production, I think the future is still plenty bright for Shondell. Women's basketball. uh, You did not have a great beginning to 2021. They finished like second to last in the Big Ten. But they made the coaching transition that was desperately needed. And so far, the early returns on Katie Gerald's are incredible. Uh, They are playing well. They seem to be playing hard. They've already won more games than Sharon Versip's last team did. And that's with a lot of talent from last year's team having transferred. I think the women's basketball team has a bright future. Soccer had a nice run. They got to the NCAA tournament. So I know men's golf is doing well. Things in the Purdue Athletic Department are very good. 2021 was a great year. And as you look ahead to 2022, I think it's an incredibly promising time to be a Purdue fan. And I think Mike Babinski's transformation of this athletic department is still going on. Uh, But you've already seen so much growth from 2016 to now that it's very easy to be excited about what's to come in Purdue athletics. But hey, that's all I have for this year. Thank you for all the time you've given the show here in 2021. I'm very excited for what's to come in 2022. We will kick off the new year with plenty of football thoughts after the Music City Bowl, do a little bit of year end review and we will prepare for basketball to rejoin Big Ten play January 3rd against Wisconsin. Safe travels to those of you traveling to the bowl game or just traveling for the holiday season in general. Uh, have a great New Year's. Follow the show on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, enjoy the Music City Bowl, and Happy New Year to you all.